Welcome to Stop Telling and Start Listening with David Cook. If you're frustrated with the way we are speaking or not speaking to each other, if you find yourself easily at odds in your conversations with people, this may be just the show for you. Listen in as David and his guests will help you elevate your communication skills and navigate the tensions present in many conversations today. Now, here is David Cook. All right. Happy Monday, everybody. Let's get started. Um, welcome to Stop Telling and Start Listening. I'm your host, David Cook. Um, every week, every week, every Monday at 11 o'clock Pacific, 2 o'clock Eastern, I get the opportunity to sit down with you and with uh, usually with a guest, and we get to share our lessons and experiences regarding the power of listening and the impact great listening behaviors can have on building trust improving relationships and solving complex problems. We're kind of at a milestone here because when I originally signed up to do this radio show, the commitment was 13 weeks. Give me an opportunity to experiment with it, see how it goes, et cetera, et cetera. And um, for those who have been listening, thank you so much. For those who are trying to get others to listen, thank you as well. Um, Eventually, we need to get you now to start calling in or emailing in questions. But um, I did want to share with you that um, I sat down and I made a commitment to myself and to the uh, Voice America team that is supporting me that we're going to do this for another year. So we have, not only do we have 13 episodes so far, but we're going to do another 51 um, going forward. So I'm very excited about this opportunity to talk about um, selfless listening and how listening can change the way we build relationships and in solve complex problems. In fact, that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, a little departure from the norm, no guest. So David Cook, your host, is monologuing. Um, wish me luck on that. Um, and the reason I did that, just so you know, is I thought this would be a great place to look back a little bit on you know, what we've accomplished over the last 13 weeks, but also to lean in and focus specifically on something as it relates to listening and what we accomplish when we do engage in effective listening behaviors to learn and understand um, people and things and challenges and problems. We're going to focus specifically on an issue today that um, is timely. It's important to me. Um, I have a passion for it, and it's a message that I definitely wanted to share. So that's what we're going to do today is we're going to zero in And call it a monologue, definitely do not want to be lecturing. I definitely do not want to be telling. But at the same time, um, since I'm going to be talking for the next 50 minutes, we're going to probably um, hear some structure, get some structure, very specific organized structure from me. So um, I'll be patient. Um, If you got a question, please email me um, and and let's uh, we can talk about it directly. You know, when we talk about listening. And when we've talked about listening as it goes forward, there's three there's three key benefits that I see when we talk about listening. The first one is building trust. Second is enhancing relationships. And the third is solving complex problems. Um, we had one of our very first guests on the show was Kate Turner. She was on episode two, if I believe correctly. And Kate talked about how she works with um high-performing individuals, people who drive themselves hard. They have high expectations. They have high behaviors for themselves. They look at a lot of things. They challenge themselves a lot professionally 
finding work-life balance sometimes is a challenge because the work is so important and getting things done is so important that trying to work their way through that um, stuff is is difficult. And one of the things that Kate talked about when it came to listening, and it's very important, is that it's in for me as a as a coach and as an advisor. Um, the building trust piece is really important. But Kate said something I think is extremely important is that it's important that people feel seen, heard, and understood. And I think that that's the that's how we build trust is when people feel seen, they feel heard, they feel understood that you get me, that you've taken the time to understand that you've invested this effort just to sit with me, to hear my story or to hear my problems or to just kind of let me rant or release some information, whatever it is. When people find that somebody invests the time to do that, they're inclined to trust them because they feel like um, they've been heard. And when people are heard, they trust the people that have been listening. And so I think that that's important. The second one is enhance relationships. And um, we had Dave Tier on a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about sales and listening and um, sales. A great salesperson is all about relationship, is all about connection. A lousy salesperson, <laughs> this is Dave's opinion, but a lousy salesperson is one that's trying to, I'm trying to get you to do something that you're not even sure you want to do. Okay. That's not relationship oriented. That's selfish oriented. It's how can I get you to do something that I want you to do? Um, that's not relationship building. When we talk about building relationships, enhancing relationships is how do I connect with you on a level where we understand each other? That you realize that I understand that I know you, I'm, I've gotten to know you well, I've invested in the time to know you well, I start to trust you. And now when you're in that situation where perhaps you want to give me some guidance, you want to give me some direction, you want to give me advice. I feel like we have a better level of connection. And so when somebody takes the time to understand, to learn, to get to know somebody very well, what it does is it brings people closer together because they start to trust them, number one. But number two is the next level is, is not only do I trust them, but I'm starting to feel a a, a connection to them that makes uh, makes me feel like there's a relationship that this that this activity and this thing that we're doing is a value to us. So anyway, that's that's what that's about. And then the last piece, and we're going to talk about this a lot today, is the other thing that listening and learning and understanding allows us to do is it allows us to get into deep, complex problem-solving activities. Too many times, especially today in our society, too many times we are really focused on let's just find the answer. You know, this is, you know, how many times have you sat with somebody who says, I don't know why they're doing what they're doing, because all they need to do is, and they make it sound really easy, or all we need to do as a country, or all we need to do as a company, or all we need to do as um, a task force or a committee. You know, sorry, when you say all you need to do is, to me, I'm hearing like, yeah, all you need to do is all you have really done is try to simplify something into a tangible way, which is great, because everybody needs to have a summary. But to say all you need to do is, to me, sounds like you've short-circuited um, the learning activity and you just expressed an opinion to keep it simple, keep it easy, keep us moving, and then so that we can move on to the next problem. Um, I wish I could say that that works, but I don't really believe it learn works. Solving complex problems is is just that. They're complex. There's no such thing 
as a simple solution to a complex issue. There's no such thing as a simple solution to a complex issue. No such thing. Because if it's complex, that means there's many people, many layers, many issues, whether they're endemic or they're systematic or whether they're embedded into culture or whatever, it doesn't really matter. The, the bottom line is, is that it can't be simple because the issue itself is complex. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk a little bit about that, is how do we use our listening behaviors? How do we learn to listen? How do we learn to learn? How do we learn to understand through our listening behaviors so that we can hear um, the issue? We can see the many different layers. We can see the different um, areas of conflict. We can see the different areas of tension because those are very important. You can't solve a problem if one side agrees, right? They say, oh, yeah, this is great. Let's just do that. And a whole bunch of other people are impacted by it. Remember, they talk about um, what's it called? Un unintentional consequences. Somebody else is, you know, creates another problem. And then we have to deal with that problem. What we really have done is we haven't fixed the problem that we were dealing with in the first place. All we did was we put a coat of paint on it. We put lipstick on the pig, but it created other issues. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk at length about how we focus on complex problems. And then in the second half after break, I'm actually going to tackle um, a, disc, a very specific example of a problem that um, every one of us can relate to and talk a little bit about how we would apply those same things to maybe work through it. And what are the things that we could do as individuals to address something that we're all pretty much dialed into as a significant cultural, um, national, whatever you want to call it, issue. So one of the challenges with selfless listening is remember that when selfless listening is just that it's selfless listening and the opposite is selfish telling. That's why the name of the show is called Stop Telling. But selfless listening by its nature um, requires me as the listener. If I'm if I if in fact, if you've been listening to this show, we when we talk, uh, have a guest on the show, the idea is let's hear what they have to say, what they believe why they believe it, how they form that belief, how that belief um, lives out in their life on a day-to-day -day basis. And then also to how that influences other challenges, issues, and, and behaviors as well, because, you know, everybody does things. I do things a certain way. Some people love them. Some people don't understand them. Some people hate them. So, you know, there's always tension in our behaviors. And it helps us when we take the time to listen, to learn, to understand if we can share what we do, why we do it, how we've arrived at those behaviors or how we've arrived at those beliefs and we're free to share them, then people can say, okay, I, I don't, Dave, I don't agree with you, but at least now I understand. To me, that is a huge breakthrough because right now in our society, what do we do? Dave, I don't agree with you. I can't hang out with you anymore because you're, you're, nuts. You're crazy. You're wrong. I don't agree. It doesn't line up with my value system. What we do is, of course, like what, what uh, Monica Guzman talked about is the first thing we do is we separate ourselves from the people that make us most uncomfortable. We other them. So we talk about why they are wrong or what they are doing that is crazy or what they are doing that is irresponsible. And then the last piece is, is, um, uh, we silo, we start to put them in boxes, we put them in certain areas. And what we do is we just try to find a way to hang out with the people 
that we agree with, that we're most comfortable with and stuff like that. And I think that that's nice. It's always great to have a trusted circle of friends that share your values, that share your viewpoints. But if you go through life, making sure that the only people you interact going, you know, going forward are the people that share your value system, share your beliefs, make you feel safe, make you feel comfortable, never challenge who you are, where you are, what you're doing. What you do is you get stagnant and you get into a, a groupthink, which doesn't allow you to really saw, look through a complex issue with a diverse perspective. What it does is it gets you into a place where everybody agrees. Yeah, we all agree. I don't know why they just don't do it. Well, you all agree because you guys all have the same opinion. You all agree because you're sharing the same information. You all agree because you share the same values. Guess what? We have a very diverse population. We have a very diverse country. We have a very diverse society. There's different views, different beliefs. There's different cultural norms. There's different experiences, how we were raised, where we were raised, who raised us. Okay. All those things make us diverse. And so if I'm sitting around with my group of people that say, oh, yeah, this is the answer and try to implement it into a very diverse workforce or into a very diverse political scheme or into a very diverse um, neighborhood, what I'm going to get is I'm going to get pushback. I'm going to get a lack of action or lack of buy in. And what we do is we don't solve the problem. What we're doing is we create another problem, which means we're arguing about the fact that this problem, you know, this answer is disruptive. And for those who want to look at it and use that terminology, not only is it disruptive, but it's wrong. And then what happens? Nothing happens. It doesn't get fixed. It doesn't get corrected. Nothing changes. And when nothing changes, what happens? We, we go backwards because life is about moving forward. So anyway, that's that's the point here today. We're going to talk about this a little bit. And I teed it up a little bit longer than I planned, but here we go. So when we're looking to find um, a solution to a complex problem, we're looking to go into problem solving. Obviously, the you know the key words that I use is that we it's a learning exercise, it's understanding exercise, it's a collaborative exercise, and we also have to test it. And then we also have to lead and take responsibility for it. So we have to do a lot of interactive, collaborative discussion, sharing, thinking, learning. It's a process. It's kind of a continuous loop. And anyway, when I when I look at this um, problem solving thing, I think the bottom line is is there's some mindset behaviors that got that need to go into the into the activity out of the gate. Anybody who's going to sit down and solve a problem solve a complex problem, whether it's work or school or home or, you know, you're a politician um, that's looking to actually solve a problem. Um, there's there a couple of mindset things that have to take place. Number one is um, the belief that there has to be a way. You know, when we sit down and say, we see a problem and say, yeah, that'll never, we'll never going to, we're never going to be able to fix that. Why not? Oh, because it's too complex. It's been going on too long. The culture, the people, the politics, whatever it is, there's just no way it's going to be fixed. No way can we do anything about it. If you go in with that mindset, your self-fulfilling prophecy is going to be after a couple weeks or a couple hours or a couple days, whatever the time frame is, over a period of time, you're going to go, you know what? See, I was right. There's just no way we can get these people to agree on this thing. 
So if you go in with uh, with a passionate commitment that there has to be a way, you're up for the challenge. And you're taking responsibility for accepting the challenge and you're making a commitment to yourself and the people that you work, work with. There has to be a way for us to get there. There has to be a way for us to get there. If you start with that commitment and you share that commitment and you encourage people, even if we're at each other's throats, you encourage them, look at, we can figure this out and we will, but we need to agree now that we can make a commitment that there has to be a way. The second um, part of this thing is, you know, and again, this, that's, that's hard. Most people, yeah, Dave, I just don't see myself doing that. Good, then don't. If you can't do it, don't do it. Um, all I'm talking about is what I think is in the recipe for success. And there's no shame in saying that's not me. I don't see myself doing it. Hey, not everybody's a problem solver. Some people are perpetual complainers. Some pe people are, are great followers once a great idea shows up and they can help uh, champion the cause, right? Um, so there's different things. But to say that I'm not, I don't see myself taking the lead in solving this problem, no shame, no judgment, no criticism. That's not where you see yourself today. Great. I understand. Me, I love solving problems. I love a puzzle that can't be solved. In fact, I tell people this all the time. I don't know if I've shared this before. But one of the things that I, you know, somebody gives me a puzzle and says, here, you know, try to figure this out. It took me two hours to do it. Chances are it's going to take me 15 minutes. Either I see the answer or not, and I move on. Because a problem for which the answer is already known doesn't need my time and attention. There's already It's already been figured out. And cool, good. Just tell me what the answer is. Or I'll play the game for a while. And then once I lose interest and say, okay, I'm, I can't figure it out and there's no, and, and I don't see myself figuring it out, should give me the answer, let me move on. However, on the other side of the coin, if somebody sits down with me and says, I got a real, I got an issue. And they explain to me what the issue is and what the challenges are and how it's impacting them and the things that they've done. I could spend days, weeks, months trying to figure it out because I always believe there has to be a way and I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to do whatever it takes to find an answer because I believe all problems can be solved. So that's the two things, the first two pieces. There has to be a way and you have to be willing to do whatever it takes to find an answer. Be all in. And then the, the the next one, this is a little bit more of a challenge for people. Um, and it's one that I've struggled with because I do, I am a guy with a lot of opinions. I've always had a lot of opinions. I've been a great simplifier. Um, I still am at times. I catch myself, but sometimes I just say, yep, this is all we need to do. And when I do that, I realize that I'm dismissing the process or short-circuiting the process would be a better, better way of looking at it. But what we need to do is we need a willingness to look at everything as it relates to an issue. All sides, all layers, all levels. We need to be have we need to have a willingness to examine without restriction everything that goes into the issue. Because if we leave certain things, it's not the, if we limit it, it's not this, it's not that, um, whatever you do, don't go there because you're not going to be able to touch it and all that stuff. The minute we do that, what we're doing is we're, we're limiting the scope of our learning curve. And we're not giving ourselves the opportunity to see the whole, entire, complete 
big picture. So if we're going to solve a complex problem, we have to be willing to look at everything as it relates to the issue. And then drilling down, the fourth piece to this is, and this is the biggest challenge for all of us, um, is to allow all perspectives, ideas, and options to be sufficiently examined. In other words, we can't refuse, that's negative, 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 but anyway, um, we need to do our best to allow all ideas, all, all suggestions, all thoughts, all information to freely be examined, explored, and discussed. And the reason that is, is because if we say there's just some things that we don't want to discuss, again, we're limiting the scope and scale of our ability to learn, to see it, to see something in, in a different light as a possible answer or an idea, or maybe it's a contributor to the cause. So everything has to be on the table. So there has to be a way. We have to do whatever it takes to find an answer. We have to be willing to look at everything as it relates to the issue. And we also have to be willing to allow all ideas, all values, all beliefs, all information to be shared so we can examine it for what it is and how we feel about it. Okay, let's move on. Um, I read a book a couple, six months ago. It was called a book called Leadership on the Line by Ronald Heifetz and Marty Linsky. And Ronald and, and Marty talk about um, leadership and change. It's a great book. I loved it. Um, encouraged a couple of my clients to read it. I don't know if they have because I haven't followed up with them yet. But a couple of things that the, the authors talk about is there's two kinds of problems or two kinds of issues, if you will. One is technical and one is adapt adaptive. Now, a technical problem is just that, you know, we, in fact, this is where we try to simplify things. The technical problem is we play basically apply current know-how um, and use authority to make a change. So we look at something and say, yeah, you know, um, people are coming in late to work all the time. Let's change the policy. President writes a memo, you know, comes up with a plan with the agency our person, they write a memo and they say, here's a new company policy. That's dealing with a technical issue. Or we have maybe a personnel issue. There's a, there's somebody that just, and we sit down and we say, okay, as your boss, let's talk about the issue. Let's talk about where we're at. Let's look at the problem, you know, what's working, what's not working and come up with an answer. Those are tech examples of technical answers. Adaptive problem solving requires that we need to learn new ways. And we need to learn new ways, work people. So if we have a department um, in, in that is uh, underperforming, it's unstable, and there's some relationships, revenue, I don't know, people leaving, whatever. And I'm using work as an right now, um, well, I could more, but going on and we've tried this and we tried that they tried some technical and changed the issue we're still in the same problem it means that this is a more complex problem it means that we need to look at this um this challenge a little bit differently we need to learn new ways to deal with something that keeps happening i mean how many worker at home you say, well, let's try this. And then you try it and it doesn't work. Or you think, oh, that's, that was great. I'm, you know, sounds like a great answer. And you go a couple months, happens again. 
Well, obviously you haven't fixed the problem. What you did was you addressed what you thought was the problem, but it's still going on, which means there's something that you don't know, something you need to learn. And the best way to learn it is to work with the people who have the problem that are experiencing the problem with you and identify how to do it. So those are the two. And I loved how they do that because one of the things that came out of this book that was real important is we like to boil things down to technical issues because if we boil them down to technical issues and we just let somebody, the person in charge, you know, make some decisions, chances are if they're making decisions um, and I'm not experiencing the problem, I'm also not going to be affected by the impact of the of the solution. And I'm not going to have to change my habits, my behavior, my ways and stuff. But if we're dealing with a cultural issue or a significant business issue, or we're dealing with a significant political issue, hint, hint, that's after the break. What we're looking at is we're looking at adaptive and adaptive change is one of those things that chances are it's going to affect everybody who's connected to the problem. And so people will say, I hate that answer. Why? Well, because it's going to require me to change the way I'm doing this, or it's going to require me to come to work earlier. It's going to require me to whatever it is. And it involves change and people hate change. They would rather have something get fixed as long as their life doesn't change. But if something get to get something fixed requires interrupting something that um, they perceive to be working for them, they'll resist it all day long because people hate change and people hate change, especially if it's, you know, if it solves a problem in the end, but in the meantime, in the short run, it creates, you know, an eruption to a habit or a behavior People are going to hate it. So we have to remember that. So, you know, what happens a lot of time is when people people will resist adaptive work because they they just want to preserve what they have. I do not want change. I like what I've got. In fact, if anything, I'd like to go back to what I had before all this stuff started happening. Those are the people that are resisting adaptive work. Uh, years ago, um, we had, in fact, I'm probably going to have to take this after the break, but years ago, I had a conversation. We had a, a company directive from the leadership team that we were going to literally blow up the company. They had a, you know, BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal. And their vision was this, co- we were going to do, um, every order was going to be right. It was going to be on time, under budget, the first time without issue. And one of the big challenges that came up with that is that we were broken down into different groups and mine was um, uh, service and was fulfillment, the fulfillment side on the customer side. And one of the challenges was, is that um, we, our service, our administrative uh, department had just gone through a huge process uh, reconfiguration. They redefined the process and all that other stuff as it related to it. And when we sat down to talk about meeting this big, hairy, audacious goal, one of the things that came in conflict is that we were going to have to examine this process that this this team of people had just spent the last four months working on. It. And I'm not saying that the process was good or bad or indifferent, whatever. But what happened was, is that they were so determined that we couldn't look at the process because it was already had been perfected in the current state that they wouldn't allow us to challenge the process in a future state because they believed it was already working. And so they protected it. And when they protected it, we had we had limited dialogue on how we were going to move com- the company forward to this big, hairy, audacious goal because we had one foot stuck 
in the old way we were doing business because we had perfected the old way of doing business to the point where we were unwilling to look at a new way of doing business. That's resistance to adaptive change. If it's working for me, I don't want you fixing it. Even though it's broken in the general sense, if it's working for me, I don't want you fixing it. Think about that when we go to, as we go to break, how many times have you been in a conversation with somebody that says they can do what they want, but they can't do this. They can, they can, you know, make me do X, Y, and Z, but they're never going to make me do this. Those are people that are resisting adaptive change. They're drawing boundaries, hard boundaries around their process and the things that are working for them. And I want you to, you know, I would like to encourage you to think about that as we go to break is how many times you've had those conversations about what we need to do and what happens when the resistance shows up and how that resistance impacted or influenced the ability to make a change. In the meantime, uh, we're going to take a break and I'll be back and we'll focus this on a very more, much more of a specific issue. This is Dave Cook with Stop Telling and Start Listening. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. We are living in a time where a relentless commitment to opinions and beliefs are dividing communities and fracturing crucial relationships. Making ourselves right and those who disagree with us wrong leaves little room for engaging in a constructive learning dialogue. There is little opportunity to change minds, find common ground, or solve complex problems. Those who are not being heard or understood become angry, hurt, lost, isolated, alone, and more. While mental health-related issues are on the rise, too few know how to safely share their struggles, and far too many don't know how to care about those that do. While it is increasingly frustrating to experience an increase in this communication divide, there is hope. And according to David Cook, there is an answer. The answer lies in how we adjust our communication style and shift our listening behaviors. In his radio show, Stop Telling and Start Listening, host David Cook introduces his audiences to the power found in creating a safe place for sharing life perspectives and experiences without judgment, criticism, correction, or shame. There are tremendous opportunities in learning to see the world from the eyes of another. Join David on Mondays at 11 Pacific. Discover how shifting your listening behaviors will close the divide that exists between you and others in your community. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Stop Telling and Start Listening. Have a question for David or his guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Or you can email Dave at dave at thecookgroupllc.com. Now, back to the show with David. All right, everybody. Thank you for taking a break. Thank you for coming back after the break. This is David Cook with Stop Telling and Start Listening. And today we're talking about listening and problem solving. And obviously in problem solving, one of the uh, things that we just pointed out before break is um, solving adaptive problems, problems that are really deep, complex 
cultural or social political issues um, always involves some sort of wholesale change in the the level to which people will go to resist change um, in a situation like that. And one of the issues that came, and we talked about a book uh, that I read called Stop, um, I'm sorry, Leadership on the Line. And they talked about uh, adaptive change and technical change. And technical change is simple problem solving with those that are in authority. And adaptive change is uh, complex problem solving where we have to learn some new things, new ideas, new behaviors, new norms, new processes. And in doing so, we've create, created this significant change event to move us forward from a place where we're stuck or whatever. And uh, one of the questions is, is that how do you know whether the challenge is primarily technical or adaptive? And it's um, you can never really be certain. But here's some ideas to look at it. First of all, you're nor you're you know you're dealing with something more than a technical issue when people's hearts and minds need to change. And not just not necessarily just their preferences, their routine behaviors, but the way they look and see things. Um, when we're, you know, I've I've had some done some work in companies where we've met, you know engaged in massive cultural change, and that's really hard because a company that's been around for twenty or thirty or forty years, however long it's been, and they have anywhere from fifty to two hundred employees. There's a way the company has done business, but there's some things in the way they do business that cause issues. And when we start to look at changing things up, people, and it's not just the way that they um, the the way they do the work, their work process, how they show up or how they interact or how they engage. That's a big piece of it. But the other piece of a cultural change is changing the way they see something. They're changing their hearts and minds. How, you know, they say that I love the company when, when you guys did this, you changed the way the company was too. And they talk about whatever the negative, you know, you guys became um, less team oriented or you became more profit centered or whatever. Some cultural changes don't necessarily resonate well with other, but what it did, it was people said, you changed the way I'm experiencing this organization, or you're trying to change the way I, you know, what I love about this organization. They're changing their hearts and minds. That's an adaptive change. That's an adaptive solution. And that's the rub. And so it's sometimes, you know, as we're working with that, you got to decide what's expendable as you struggle to move forward. And the the, tr the thing is, is you got to start with understanding where the people are. That's why this, this learning piece is so important. Beyond the cap capacity to listen, which is extremely important, we really need to be able to be curious. We need to sit down with people and get their perspective and get their understanding, how they see, feel, and experience something, what they believe, why they believe it. What they see as the challenges or the issues um, from their perspective and some of the things that the, from their perspective, what could we could do differently or better? Because when you start to do that, you can start to see what the problem is as well as see the depth of the issue, the layers of the issue. And you start to get a sense of the, the how people perceive things to get fixed or better or fixed better or improved. I'm sure I messed that up. But it, chances are, when you sit down with somebody like that, your view and their view are going to be different. Because I see, you know, this is this is one of those things. Everybody's perspective, everybody's perspective, everybody's perspective is valid from where they stand. Everybody's perspective is valid from where they stand. That's a core belief that I have. That doesn't mean I have to agree with them. 
Doesn't mean I have to like it. That doesn't mean I have to accept it necessarily. But what I do need to know, I do need to be able to understand it, what they see, why they see it, and how it influences their decisions. That's a repeat, but I want to emphasize that. Everybody's perspective is valid from where they stand. Value it, accept it to under from a learning point of view, accept it from a listening point of view, accept it from an understanding point of view. Because if you see what they see, you understand what they understand. What you're doing is you're getting the, the you're getting a different view of the same issue from a different perspective. It's just so important. When we limit that, it just kills us. So. Um, you know, that's, that's if, and also too, if back to, you know, people love to be heard, seen and understood. Imagine we, you know, sit down with a group of people who haven't been talked to about a particular issue. We say, here's what we've come up with. They're going to go forget it. <laughs> right. The reason they're going to go to forget it is because you didn't talk to them. So whatever you're doing is it's perceived to be irrelevant or insensitive or presumptuous because you've made assumptions that, um, without involving them, that you have the answer. Well, if you can't involve them and you, and you can't get their viewpoint, chances are you don't have the answer. But one thing's for certain is they don't believe you have the answer, which means they're not going to engage. And if they're not going to engage, you can't solve the problem because what you're going to have is you're going to have resistance. And it's natural to have resistance to change anyway, but there's active resistance and there's passive resistance. Active resistance says you dump something on me without my involvement, without my participation, you're and you're completely disrupting, you know, the way I, whatever it is, you're completely disrupting it. I'm not playing. Passive resistance is just saying, yeah, you know, whatever, go do your thing and, you know, you just go ahead and do it. But I'm, you know, I'm not going to get on board until I see how it's working and, or I'm going to wait to see it fail because I don't believe it's going to work. That's passive resistance. But that's the last thing you want when you go for problem solving. So that's why you need to enroll as many people from an, as diverse a perspective and a diverse point of view as possible. So anyway, that's the problem solving mentality for me is, is that getting in, you know, making a commitment, there has to be a way, making a commitment that um, I'm going to do whatever it takes, making a commitment that I'm going to get as many people involved as possible and making a commitment that I'm going to understand this issue from top to bottom, from right to left and left to right and inside out and outside and outside inside. Because if I understand the problem, chances are, and I see all the things that are connected and all the people and all the stuff, chances are when I move forward to some ideas, what some of the things, what could we do and how could we do it? And why would this help? And what do we need to prepare for, you know, in terms of fallout or resistance or whatever things, what we have is we have everything we need to address the issue. When we short circuit it, all we do is we create a law or a rule or a policy that hopefully forces people to face in a certain direction and do certain things. But if we haven't, if it doesn't really fix the problem, all it's going to do is be another rule. And people hate rules. You know, people, well, they'll follow them, but they hate when people constantly put them on them. So here's the shift. Um, I'm going to bring this to something more personal and specific because this is, you know, what I love to do. But um, last week, um, Tuesday or so, early last week, I um, after the tragic uh, Nashville shootings at that school in Nashville, um, I put some pointed remarks on Facebook. And the reason I put some pointed remarks on Facebook is I wanted to stir up some passion and energy. 
And of course I did. Um, we all recognize that um, this, uh, you know, the schools, school shootings, mass school shootings is a very serious national issue. I don't think anybody would disagree that it's a serious national issue. After that, I can guarantee you that you can't five, find five people that agree with you wholeheartedly as what the answer is, because it's complex. It's adaptive. There's a lot of moving parts and pieces. There's a lot of opinions. There's a lot of things that we don't know or understand. And trying to simplify it um, is impossible because it's, it's, it's too complex. And I think that that's one of the things that comes out of the book is crisis is a good ind indicator of adaptive issues that have festered. Crisis is a good indicator of adaptive issues that have festered. Crises represent danger because the stakes are high, time appears short, and uncertainties are great. Doesn't that sound like the, the mass shooting issue? Right? We're, the stakes are high, man. There's The emotions are high. We can't have kids dying in schools. Um, there are, and there's a whole group of people saying we also have rights and responsibilities that we need to protect and preserve, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It goes on. It doesn't matter where you are in the argument. It doesn't matter where you are in solving the problem. The truth of the matter is it's a crisis that's got everybody worked up. But the problem is, is that it also is a great opportunity to galvanize attention on the unresolved issues. As long as there are school shootings, we have a problem. That's it. I don't know if anybody would disagree with me. As long as we have school shootings, we have a serious issue, it's a serious national issue. And until we can work through that thing, it's not going to go away. And there isn't, you know, in my opinion, there isn't a law, there isn't a policy, there isn't a rule. There isn't something that we could do today to make that change. However, because of what I believe, I believe there has to be a way. I also believe that given the opportunity, um, maybe and maybe I need to just step into my teeny weeny little space and do something about it, but I also believe that we can find a way. But it requires us to be willing to work through all the issues find a group of people and the, the, the people responsibility responsible for it are the people most affected by the problem. So that's why, you know, what we have, and this is probably going to stir some, some energy up uh, with, with you as listeners, but that's the reason why um, I do not feel connected to the 435 people or 535 people that are representing me in Washington, because I don't think that they're vested in the problem. In fact, I don't think they're vested in any problems. What I do believe in my experience from where I sit is, is I see them doing a lot of talking, but I don't see them doing a lot of collaborating. I don't see a lot of leadership, you know, that kind of leadership commitment that says there has to be a way and I'm going to do whatever it takes. That's true leadership. That's taking responsibility. So I don't trust the people in Washington to solve the problem. What I do trust is that there's got to be a core group of people in this country willing to sit down and actually work through it. But we can't work through it in a one-dimensional sort. So when I post, posted that thing on Facebook, it was kind of fun. I mean, I got a kick out of it in the sense that, you know, what was predictable is, you know, with every argument, every social, political argument, um, the, the behaviors are pretty much the same. You know, there are people that... Um, will 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 find a, a a partisan side to stand on left or right doesn't really matter 
There's a whole bunch of people who want to talk about this being a mental health issue that we need to, if we just focused on the mental health aspect of it, we could fix it. There's a whole bunch of other people that are going, all we need to do is take the guns out of the, you know, take the, uh, the assault weapons out of the system and it'll solve the issue. There's a whole bunch of other people going, no, you can't take my guns away, you know, and stuff like that. So what we're doing is we're arguing about simple solutions without drilling down and saying, what's the real issue here? Can we agree that we have a problem that we would like to solve and do whatever it takes to solve it? Because if you show up and say you can't, okay, and whatever rule you put, you can't take my gun or you can't, you have to include the mental health thing, um, you know, the the libtards or the conservatives or whatever name calling you want to call it. I know I can't do that with those guys because I don't believe, well, you know, I don't like their policies. I don't, if you start doing that, what we're doing is we're creating hard boundaries around things. And what we do is we trip over the boundaries and we never get to the solution. So that's what I found is that there were just all these things and they were just, you know, they were, they were supporting um, our narrow minded definition of who we are, where we are, what I believe, why I believe it. And all we need to do kind of answers. And I just, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. If we're serious about solving a problem like mass shootings in schools. It requires us the ability and the willingness to commit to owning the problem, saying we have a crisis. We have to do whatever it takes. We have to believe that there's got to be a way to find an answer and we have to be able to do whatever it takes to get there. And we're willing to put everything on the table as we listen, learn and understand. Nothing is protected. Nothing is safe. Everything is open for discussion. Now, everybody goes, well, Dave, that's impossible because we've got a million opinions and a million views. That's the point is it's not about opinions. Bring your knowledge to the table. Tell me what you know, why you know what you know, why you believe what you believe, how that influences your decisions and your behaviors. And what are you willing to learn from somebody else after you've after you've shared? And are you willing to go through the process of listening to diverse viewpoints and risking changing what you're trying to protect? Because if you're not willing to risk um, changing or letting go or releasing what you're trying to protect, which is whether it's an, op an opinion or a value or a right or a rule, I don't really care. If you're trying to preserve and protect it like that administrator did with her with her um, order fulfillment process, the minute you do that, you, sh you shut down the collaborative learning problem solving process. So if you can't do it, don't participate, but please don't get in the way. Because if you agree that there's a problem, let people who are willing to take responsibility for solving problem, solve it. Don't give them the rules on how they can solve it. Because when you do that, you limit it. And so, you know, that's that's my thing is, is that, yeah, we have a we have a serious national crisis. We have a whole bunch of them. <laughs> we have a lot of them. And we're so busy telling people where they're wrong and why I'm right. We're so busy telling people um, what rights I want to protect or what um, values I want to preserve and, you know, all that stuff. When we start to do that, what we're doing is we're telling our diverse population, we're telling our diverse um, populace, the diverse people in our country that, oh, by the way, you have to conform to me because I'm right. 
you're not going to solve that problem. You're just creating another one. And I don't understand why we're doing this. I just clearly don't understand. I mean, I do understand is that we we resist change. We don't want lifestyles or rules or norms threatened. But the truth of the matter is, are they really threatened? Or are we just afraid that we might have to adapt or change to something that um, maybe we're not as comfortable with? And I think that that's really what it is. And that's why the listening and the learning and the understanding piece is so important. Because if I show up, if I show up at a meeting, it doesn't matter. But if I show up at a meeting with a group of people that I am indefinite, what do you want to call it, disagreement with, or I'm not connected to, or I don't share their same perspectives, I'm going to feel the need when I walk in to defend and protect and save what I believe is as mine. And so as a result, I'm not listening to learn what I'm doing is I'm I'm wrapping my arms and folding my arms and I'm protecting and seeing if maybe it's possible for me to be safe. That's not that's not creating a space where trust and relationship and problem solving can take place. All it's doing is making it harder. So when we talk about um, solving problems, we need to understand the problem. We need to see the patterns. We need to see the truth. We need to understand where what's reality and what's not. We need to find connection. And um, I just think that we don't need to decide what the answer is. What we need to decide is, where's the problem first? What's the issue? What are the many layers of the issues? Uh, I'll use this as an example, and this is not to convey my opinion on anything. I'm hoping I don't convey an opinion. But when somebody says, um, it's not the guns, Okay, that's a boundary. That's their way of saying, look, you can look at this problem all you want, but don't try to tell me why you think the guns are part of the problem, because they're not. Well, the reality is, is guns are part of the problem. And the reason I say guns are part of the problem is because every single mass shooting incident, a gun is involved. Why the gun is involved, how the gun is involved, who's who's involved with the gun, what the how brought, brought. There's a whole bunch of stuff that makes that still ends up being making the gun part of the problem. Now, the gun may not be part of the solution, but you can't walk in saying, don't come in with the idea that you're going to touch the guns. Don't come in with the idea that you're going to point to the guns or look at the guns, because the truth of the matter is you have to look at the guns because guns are part of the crisis. They just are. They just are. That doesn't mean that I've made up my mind that I've got to do something about the guns. What it does is I means I have made up my mind that I need to better understand what's going on with the guns as it relates to this issue. Just like somebody says, all it is is a mental health issue. Sure it is. Does that mean that 100% of the people who've done mass shootings have mental health issues? Could be. I kind of think that anybody who's ever pled guilty, by, you know, for murder by death, you know, by insanity and insanity plea, you have to be insane to kill somebody. So why would I plead insanity? All I have to do is say is I killed somebody. You're crazy. That's right. You are crazy because a normal human being wouldn't willingly kill somebody. That's a judgment statement on Dave's part. Sorry. But that's the point. So, you know, it's like, OK, but then we say it has to be a mental health issue. What does that mean? Explain to me. Let's look at it. Is it a mental health issue? Is there a pattern? Are there habits? Are there norms? What do we need to better understand as it relates to mental health? 
What does it mean to better understand as it relates to mental health and guns, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, problem solving, true problem solving requires us to let go, lower our boundaries, lower our walls, lower our limits on how we're going to look at things and think things through. Recognize and accept that change is possible. Change is likely. I am going to be impacted by the solution in a way that may make me feel uncomfortable for a while. However, if it solves an adaptive, deep-seated, recurring cultural or social or corporate issue, then what's wrong with that? Nothing. But it requires us to be all in to agreeing that there's got to be a way that we've got to find a solution that I'm going to do whatever it takes. Because like in this very specific issue situation, there is nothing acceptable about children being shot at school. And that's a specific issue. There's nothing acceptable about that. And if we can agree to that, then the other thing is, okay, what do we need to do with our with our ears, our minds, our hands, everything open to receive exploring the answer? That's it. That's problem solving. We can talk about this a lot more, but I wanted to tee this up. You know how to find me, Dave, at the Cook Group, LLC. Cook is C-O-O-K-E. Dave at thecookgroupllc.com. You got questions, comments, thoughts on this subject matter, have at it. If you want to be a guest and talk about this more thoroughly and in detail, drop me a note. Tell me what you'd like to do. But I'm very passionate that we can solve any problem that we face, provided we're willing to open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds, and stop telling and start listening. Because like I've said before, I've said this many times on the show, is that once you start listening, everything changes. So a little update, like I said at the beginning of the show, this is the transition from a 13-week experiment to a one-year commitment. If you'd like to be on the show as a guest, let me know. Feel free if you have somebody that you'd like me to interview and join me on the show because you love the way they communicate, you love the way they think, you love the way they listen. Great, let's do it. But in the meantime, let's make sure we take a moment to sit back and say, I don't know what the answer is, but I'm willing to learn and explore and see what the problem is. So that when it gives me, when I do have an opportunity to try to see what the solution is, I might be able to offer some guidance and advice something more than all we just all that we need to do is or we just need to because that's not enough we need to be able to go deep we need to be able to make whatever solution we're doing permanent and and structured anyway this is david cook have a great week and we'll see you guys next monday take care voice america is on linkedin connect with us today we all struggle with relationship tensions in the home or at work or with a loved one Often that tension causes us to avoid communicating with that individual because it usually ends up in a fight or an argument that only makes things worse. In the show Stop Telling and Start Listening, host David Cook shares the lessons of his personal experiences to help you engage in healthy, insightful conversations for healing broken or damaged relationships. After a successful professional career as a sales pro, executive, and consultant, David Cook discovered in a significant, transformational way the impact... 
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Stop Telling and Start Listening. We hope you've picked up on some useful ideas to help you enhance your conversational skills. Until we listen again, have a beautiful week.